Manor. Hello, welcome to the Tip Manor podcast. It's the first pod of the decade, and if I manage to say those words again, then I guess, chaps, we've done a pretty good job. Um, Five-man team today, but let's start with the comeback of all comebacks. Andy, how is it going? Hello. Yeah, no, it's good. Um, I've been out on transfer, um, but unfortunately, no other podcast will have me. So, yeah, I haven't been very busy. <laughs> I've been... Uh, I, was, I was revising for an exam that was taking up a lot of my time, a reset for, for a health and safety exam. Um, and I, start, I started a new job back in August, so I've been trying to find my feet with that. So, yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've come back much like uh, Ricardinho might be coming back to the club. So, yeah, hello, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Any New Year's resolutions, Andy? Uh, um, well, I'm actually, yeah, I need to lose some weight. So lose weight and I'm actually uh, have celiac disease. So I'm not supposed to eat any gluten. So yeah, not eat any gluten because I do eat a lot of gluten. So <laughs> there you go. This this week we saw um, Oxblogger go all in on Twitter with various top tens from the last decade. So top 10 players you can't remember, top 10 first names of players we've had, top 10 appearances. But they also had um, what ended up being a top 20 moments of the decade. So I want all of you to pick a couple. Andy, we'll start with you. Ah, Well, um, I missed out on the 2010 playoff final because I was in Kenya at the time with the army. So I can't have that. So I'm going to have the Johnson Pate Trophy final at... Uh, Wembley, not because of the result or the game, but because I got to go with my old man, and we don't tend to do a great deal. So I enjoyed that, even though the result wasn't great. Which one, the Barnsley or Commentary, or does that Barn, Barn, no Bar- Barnsley? I, I don't know the Commentary. I don't. I don't seem to remember that one happening. <laughs> yeah, the Barnsley one. Um, yeah, just because it's a bit nostalgic, and I got to spend it with my dad, and probably um, Carlisle away when Circum scored. The uh, the limbs there that was pretty oh, that was fantastic yeah that. what a moment that and was. and a hot dog <laughs> and a hot dog of course uh, <laughs> John any New Year's resolutions for you um I think just general you know organize your life better you know do that sort of stuff God I'm but... I'm not going to ask the other two this is dull what about your moments what? <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, they probably should have said, I haven't done the resolutions yet. <laughs> so that's, that shows where <laughs> To be I'm, honest, I've I'm never at. ever done them myself. So I, I just, it's all bollocks anyway. It always dies within a few weeks, but. Absolutely. I'm going to go with the run of games and victories against Swindon generally. I think Rob Hall's was one that particularly stands out, but also the one where, where Bino got sent off quite early on, but that was a game I was at and that was particularly memorable. And I think generally just when we realised probably like, 2014-15 or maybe early, early map that our style of football was starting to change and we were playing pretty decent football mm. and then that's carried on throughout the rest of the decade. I think that I remember that moment quite vividly as well. Nice. Good stuff. Jack, aka Captain Ox. Hello. Um, any, if Captain Ox was a superhero, Jack, what would his powers be? Let's start with that. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> talk about put me on the spot. Uh, Use the socks for trivia. It's not useless. It's really handy for everyone concerned. Yeah, no, yeah, knowing pointless stuff that no one actually cares about. That's that. That'll do. Nice. And, and your moments of the decade. Um, Charlton away when we came back to win, just because I've never seen 
so many falling bodies down steps between <laughs> tears. Um, Limbs. Yeah, exactly. And then quite a lot of the away wins during the promotion season because me and my dad have spent hours and lots of money travelling around, generally seeing us lose 1-0 at Scunthorpe and all these places. So to go to like Barnet and Crawley and win 4-2, 5-1, um, yeah. quite an enjoyable season. For sure. Um, that There's a guy that does Away Days blog or like he has a YouTube channel. It's called Ellis, I think his name is. Yeah. And he picked that Charlton Away game to go to. So if you ever want to go and look at what it was like to be embodied by Oxford fans um, as a as a neutral, then it's really interesting watching that. It's great. It's great stuff. Um, Connor, are you still lingering around Oxford? I am, yeah. I'm here for another uh, nine days. Okay. Nice stuff. And your moment? Yeah. Uh, Wembley 2010, definitely, just because it was uh, just before my birthday. Um, and also Wickham as well at home when oh, I got yeah. promoted. Um, I think the celebrations cele- celebrations on the pitch um, that I had with my dad was something quite special that will live long in the memory. So that was uh, that was yeah. a good one. For myself, it was, um, I'm not going to say 2010, the, the Middlesbrough, um, obviously a way day in the FA Cup. And the fact that my shins have never recovered from um, that Martinez goal <laughs> to this day. And uh, the second one for me was the, it's a bit of a random one. There's obviously more important results and games. But we when we, it was a New Year's Day thing, so it's very apt for right now. But um, that Notts County away, away game um, during the promotion season when we were 2-1 down going into the latter stages of the game and ended up smashing them. Um, to, for the back end of the second half and ending up winning 4-2. I think O'Dowda and um, Roof scored crackers. But that was just unbelievable. And as I said on the pod before, ended up with, what's the chap's name? Gary Silva um, ended up on his back running down the, the terraces. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that would have been like probably my third third choice if I'd had one. I remember that game. Shame we weren't yeah. doing the pod at the time, really. But yeah, just remember like three rows down, um, just an amazing game. Yeah. Really, really, yeah, it's brilliant. Top stuff. Uh, right, we're straight on to the news. It's a, it's another busy pod, but obviously we're into the Tetmana Transfer Centre. So... Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to the Tut Manor News. We start this week with another loss of another legend, John Shuker, who was our record appearance holder with 477 games, playing his last in 1977. Well known for being very versatile, mainly a defender, but another one of those that many of us won't have seen play live in the flesh. But when you start supporting Oxford, you quickly realise he's one of those names and he's one of those club legends. So that's a Another sad one coming after the, the loss of Jim Smith. Yeah. Uh, there was a celebration for him in the 77th minute during the Hartlepool game with his family in attendance as well. And also the club did a, a moment to remember all those connected to the club who died last year alongside the Heads Up campaign. So I think the club's really excelling itself at the moment. It always has at um, ensuring these things get the attention and the remembrance. Connor, was that quite a, a good moment during the, the 77th minute? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, obviously the the whole stadium erupted in in applause. 
uh, for to remember John. So yeah, it was good. It was, it was a, a some really nice tribute. stories in the in the Oxford Mail article about him from from Ron Atkinson and and Rosie and and the likes, and well well worth a read. Um, moving on to the academy update, which was uh, something Jack Hughes spotted. This is about Tiger giving us the green light to process to becoming a Category Two academy status that the likes of Birmingham City, Leeds, QPR, Crystal Palace have got, and that's quite a that's quite a state signal of intent and investment, isn't it, Jack, to move to Category Two status? Yeah, it's it's huge. It's just some of those teams you've just named a big, big club. So to be kind of attempting to get into the same ballpark as them uh, with the academy is massive. And I think actually for quite a long time we've lost a lot of players from the Oxford area to other clubs. Um, so it's it's all you know all time that we bring the local talent back. And right the way through, we've had the likes of Shandon and O'Dowda and various others over the last couple of years. But if we can get them in even earlier and bring them right through, we could, you know, it's not beyond belief to have a team with seven or eight, maybe even a full side like Crew do coming through an academy. I was going to say Crew are probably one of the, the lower league teams that particularly stand out as being at this status. And there aren't many other League Ones, like League One clubs at that status. Bolton's another example. But this is like seriously looking at everything from just the facilities, but the welfare, the ed- the education. And as a club, we seem to have chopped and changed on our sort of approach to youth. And I think this is this is a long-term investment. So encouraging to see. And you, you, in some ways, you'd hope the club would have made more of it. But but there we are. Mm. Um, final thing before we get to the transfer centre, which I think we're all gagging to get to, because there's been a hell of a lot going on this week, is the Ipswich game's been rearranged for the 14th, which the 14th of January, the home game. And that seems to cause a lot of annoyance in Ipswich fans on on Twitter. A lot of them saying, "Why have their club done that? Because they've now put a, a hard game in between two winnable games, and they need to get back on a, some form of momentum." Which, considering where they were and to a degree where we were, that's quite um, a statement. But I thought that was quite interesting to mention. Let's get the violins yeah. out for them. What a shame! Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's they're not doing that badly in the grand scheme of things. Everyone else is having a wobble, but. Um, yeah, we will take their fans being worried about it. So, not at all. But right, let's get to the uh, let's get to the transfer centre, and um, we, we should probably rip some Sky Sports off yeah. moving forward. Yeah, I think. But um, there's so much to get through on the transfer centre. We haven't got time for a jingle. So, um, <laughs> get yellow ties <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. Boys. Yellow shorts, um, yellow socks. Um, I think there's actually some broader stuff to talk about before we get to the individual stuff. Some of the are and some of our ridiculous rumours have come true, and of course, taking the piss out of Columbus Crew for their um, <laughs> bizarre behaviour. But we'll get to that. Hold, hold the piss taking for two seconds uh, while we while we look at have a think about because there's so been so much going on this week. So I think Robinson's made some very interesting points. That I think are worth chatting about, and he's talked about how he's, we're very close to signing a midfielder and a player, and I think he wanted them in before Hartlepool, but it obviously didn't happen. But he said, you know, it's glaring obvious what we need. So we need to get these deals done. They're exciting. The board want this to happen. And as a club, we need to act like a big club and not talk like a big club. Mm. And, you know, he's talked about two quick wingers, left-back cover, right-back cover. He's now added a midfield player into the mix. Now, we don't as a club or as fans, sorry, as we as a fans don't know about what's going to happen with Dickie, Brannigan, Baptiste, even the mighty Gorin. Um, with apparently interest from Blackburn and others, what's going to happen with them? I think we just need to keep everything crossed. But 
that glaringly obvious comment sprang out and James, you chipped in about thinking, well, is it glaringly obvious and you thought about strikers and that sort of thing? Yeah, if we, well, if Taylor got injured and we're left with Mackey, whilst we all love Jamie Mackey for what he brings to the side, he's not not a goal scorer, is he? And for a side pushing for promotion, and I I know it's difficult with Taylor there and wanting to give Mackey minutes, but... I would say we need to get someone in. Maybe it's loaning a really promising striker from a Premier League side. Um, but even then, most Premier League sides putting players out on loan would expect them to get minutes. So then what happens to Mackie? So I, I get it's a dilemma for KR, but at the same time, we have to think, we don't, you know, Mackie's there similar to Moose, uh, you know, originally at the beginning of the season to be doing a job, to be supporting the coaching staff, to be motivators in the in the dressing room. I still think Mackie would would bring that regardless and I think he's mature enough to see that if we did bring in another striker that would even be challenging Taylor I know it's a long shot but I'm sure he would be supportive of it no I agree and the system we play is set up for a striker like Taylor and Mackie can make it work when he comes on for periods but as we've seen and talked about countless times on the pod Mackie probably is as the solo option is a bit more difficult and yeah, I think a lone striker might be a good shout. I don't think how we can see spend some serious money on a striker given the mm. system we play. But yeah, no, it's an interesting one. I just thought it was the other side to this was KR seems to be quite directly challenging the club. There was a lot of talk about the board need to make this happen. And it's, it is the club that does the deal, but it seemed, he seems to be quite, given how much he talks about the support and the long-term plans, be, being quite aggressive about the need to get these deals done. Connor, is that just kind of positioning and sort of a bit of internal politics, or is it is he is there something more we should be reading into that? I think he's got the backing of the board. I think we've seen over the summer and the deals that we got done eventually. Obviously, I know at the beginning, KR was talking about how he wanted to get the deals done early for um, the summer, and obviously it took us a bit longer to get some of the things over the over the line in the end. Um, but I do think he's got the backing of the board. Um, and yeah, he has spoken quite uh, strongly on the radio in the last week or so about this is what he wants. If the board are serious about you know reaching the championship, this is what needs to happen. Um, and I do firmly believe that they do back him and that I think going forward in the next couple of weeks, we will see the players come in um, that he's after. Obviously, there's far more to it than just... KR wanting these players. Obviously, there's there's far more involved in the process of bringing players in. Um, but I, yeah, like I said, I think the board are behind him. Uh, I think actually KR's doing quite a good job in the media at the moment, the way he's handling things. What do you reckon about the striker talk? Do you think that's you've been to quite uh, you've been to quite a few games? Do you yeah, think I mean, I come on, but do you think he's? Do you think yeah. that would be a massive gap? I agree. I agree with with what James is saying. I think we do need another striker. Um, of course, hopefully within the next, what was it three weeks? I think Ben Woodburn will be will be back fit, and obviously Ben Woodburn can play up front. Um, so perhaps that might be something that's, but maybe putting KR off the off the radar of strikers. If of course that is the case, and he's not actually looking at any strikers. Um, it's clear though that KR is keen to get his wingers sorted, um, and I think that's a. I agree with what KR said. I think it is a glaringly obvious place where we need strengthening. Um, Fosu's dipped a little bit in form. He needs someone to push him for his place and also 
perhaps a bit of rotation. Um, Henry's playing more uh, deeper and playing more centre midfield role. Um, we do need some pacey wingers. So I think perhaps once those are settled and if we do sign a right back, which is also another uh, area that needs strengthening now that Callan's gone, perhaps if there's any money left in the kitty or if we've got any, uh, you know, room to manoeuvre in the loan market, then we'll be looking at a striker. But um, there hasn't been any rumours about any strikers. So we'll have to just wait and see. It's still very early though. Yeah, that's a good window. point. But a nice segue onto to right backs and Mr. Callan and Columbus crew. Uh, he obviously went back and was recalled to Columbus Crew. And he had, I think all of us at the game at Doncaster, I think we were all there, felt he wasn't probably at his best, maybe, to be honest, if he knew what was coming, protecting himself. But I, I spotted he was told by KR to go and clap the fans again after he did a routine. You know when players lose and they just sort of clap a little bit and then wander off? He did that and then KR pointedly told him to go over and do it, do it again. So I was sort of convinced that that was kind of... The reason, but then I think we wouldn't be bothered in talking about it if it wasn't for what KR's latest said this week, which is, you know, we he was obviously saying we've done all we can keep keep him. We made a good offer, um, quite strong on how he felt he'd been badly advised to go and play in America, and that his agent isn't probably thinking about the player. Um, yeah. But equally, he said if he wants to come and sign for us in the next ten days, we'll sign him. Chairman's willing to pay good money for him. The salary's not an issue, which is interesting. Fans love him. And he was keen to point out that this is not Chris Cadden it, it being the reason why he's leaving. It is, you know, it's Columbus crew. So I, I wasn't sure what KR was trying to achieve with that. But what did people? What did people think? Is Cadden? You know, I think it's. I think it's well. It's Bulldog John Joe Kenny Cadden in the list of great right backs for sure. But was is it is it dead in the water or is it is it just a chink in the in the of light at the end of the tunnel? I think it's just one of KR's little plans, isn't it? Uh, to somehow bring in another right back uh, quicker than he was anticipating. If it, um, if the one million that Columbus crew asking for isn't feasible, then if it wasn't feasible before, why would it mm. be now? Unless it's another loan, you yeah. know what I mean? So- uh, KR said after the Hartlepool game that he didn't give two monkeys about um, speaking. What he said was speaking the truth in terms of his words about Cadden being poorly advised and that type of thing. So he repeated all of that over again, said it was dead in the water um, this time around. But yeah, he um, I said it on previous pods as well. I, I think it is a, the wrong move for Cadden. Mm. Um, the only thing that I did notice is that Columbus Crew are moving to a brand new stadium next year. It all looks very fancy. Um, their recent... I'm I'm nervous that they're going to be listening to this as well after this. They're fans, aren't they? They're going to be hunting us down. We'll tag them um, in, don't worry. Yeah, they haven't like made the playoffs or any <laughs> anything like that recently or whatever. So I just they're they're a, they're in the lower depths of the Eastern Conference. I can't say it in a normal voice standings, and um, I just think he's going to lose touch with um, you know the Championship and Premier League teams in terms of scouts looking that way. So. Yeah. Yeah, I also found it quite interesting about the the valuation of the player because I I generally believe that if we were a championship club and Cadden was on loan at us, we would spend the million pounds mm. to bring him in. Because, you know, I think 
championship level right back, which I believe Chris Cowden certainly is. And if he's not now, then he definitely would be if he got the experience of playing in the championship. A million pound for a, a right back of his quality, where full backs now, or I should say more like wing backs, because the, obviously the uh, athletic ability that these players possess... It's very hard to come by. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. His age. It's very hard to come by. And I generally think from, you know, I'm not a bloody football manager, but a million pound, if that's his valuation, then that's actually relatively good money yeah. given the market at the moment. And I do generally believe that Oxford don't, I don't think we have the money to spend that much on one single player. I think that's one of the reasons why we're not putting the money, you know, where our mouths are and, and spending the million pounds you're right i think if we turn that around it's, it's a lot of money to spend on it's a lot of money to spend on one player but if we're in the championship and we had a few extra quid in the in the bank i think it's a no-brainer yeah if you but obviously if we did turn it around and it, he was our player and someone put an offer of a million in we'd tell him to sod off wouldn't exactly we? so yeah you're right yeah definitely I in, think the, in the current market 100 there's another interesting thing with that because um I was reading one of the Scottish papers and Columbus Crew and Motherwell still haven't agreed their own compensation fee for yeah. Cadden. So I do wonder if Columbus Crew have deliberately inflated um, the kind of price they want from us to kind of cover any outgoing that they may end up having to pay Motherwell. Um, I think it's all just been a massive game from all sides since it began and it seems that we've now kind of given up yeah, on it. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good point, Jack, and... Also, not to discredit the article, but the op- I read that one as well, and it was like Oxford are seething about Chris Cadden. <laughs> it was just like, I don't remember being seething about. Well, not me, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah, I think it. I don't. I can't see him coming, but um, but there we are. But now, finally, to the moment we've all been waiting for um, that Columbus Crew tweet sash- session. Andy, I believe you were in the bath when you were reading when you were reading and laughing about this tweet so just give us a give us a praise give us I a did. summary of um what on earth has been going on with this um battle of uh, battle of the fans yeah so i was in the bath thinking about chris cadden um, and and, and no, no, <laughs> noticed this tweet it was actually from a columbus crew fan page it wasn't the official uh, columbus crew Twitter account. I'm not sure if they have one. I don't know if college football teams have them, but um, <laughs> it, it it essentially started with this tweet. It said, "Leaving Oxford to go to the MLS uh, is this, is a mistake," and that was obviously part of KR's quote. And their response to this was, "Show us your Carolina, Carolina <laughs> Challenge Cups, Oxford." Which, Sweet Carolina uh, Cups <laughs> opened up. <laughs> yeah, it it sparked, it sparked some debate amongst Oxford's fans, and it was actually I started a thread off. I, I retweeted the thread with um, Swiss Yellow, but it was actually Luke Bodley that started the response to this. And he said, football in America is irrelevant. WTF is a Carolina Challenge Cup. Ha, 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 ha. And the responses to that ranged from, show us your Oxfordshire Senior Cups, to, <laughs> aren't, they, aren't, they, aren't, they, aren't they egg cups? And, oh, I got one of those in my Christmas cracker last week. Um, but I, I got involved after Swiss Yellow got into some debate uh, conversation yeah. with them about their name. I think it, they they call themselves Crew, and um, and then when where did it go from there? It was just a. I actually thought I'd had a few drinks actually, so I actually thought this was just an American fan with the name Daniel Sturridge. I thought he was a fan of Daniel Sturridge, but I think it probably. I think Jack pointed out it's probably just a a, a joke account, but 
he, this guy was like, at least we have a name unlike you. And that just sort of blew my mind. Um, <laughs> he, he started going on about soccer and how I think somebody said, I, I didn't spell the sport, but it's football. And his response to that was, that doesn't make any sense. You wear socks on your feet when you play, therefore it's <laughs> soccer. <laughs> and it's, it, it, it made me laugh that much. I actually got a headache in the bath. Um, and then it went on to beach soccer. And uh, I liked if you were- one of the like closing things I saw was one of an Oxford fan said to one of replied in one of the threads and just said, you bring your best, we'll bring our best and we'll meet you halfway over the Atlantic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think it is set one. up nicely. I thought, I thought that was hilarious. When I read it's that. set up nicely for a Motherwell Oxford Columbus crew pre-season tournament. <laughs> which yeah. can win some sort of Carolina Carolina milk milk Scottish whiskey cup. So um, the winner gets Chris Cadden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Why like not? It. Um and the other two have to part fund the wages or something or or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put that put that up we'll reply yeah, we to them with that suggestion, tagging them into this episode and, and see where we get to. Uh yeah. yeah. Good shout. We'd we'd be on that. If you are on Twitter, have a look on. Uh, I, I retweeted it a while ago. Have a look on my. Obviously, I'm at Andy Wilmer on Twitter. Have a look on the uh, the thread that I uh, retweeted, and you'll uh, you'll have a few laughs. Okay. There. Well, moving on to other departures. Um, Zamori has left the club at the end of his short term deal, which I think we'll put down to one of those slightly random ones. He looks quite fleet of foot in that Charlton game, but ultimately didn't work out, and maybe just didn't get enough chances to play. I think. Jack made the point that the under-23s didn't seem to be playing much. But anyway, a bit of a random one. KR said he, KR said he was nowhere near yeah. in training. Yeah. So, not a, surprise. not a surprise. Moving to incoming, far more exciting. Um, so, we've got, according to KR, we've got deals on the table for Nathan Holland, who's a midfielder, 21 on at, at West Ham. On paper, hasn't got any prior football league experience, hasn't been out on loan, but has made some Premier League appearances this season. And the stats from his under-23 league, you know, he's leading the way and near both of them. I think he scored six in that league. I've seen quite a bit of West Ham fans getting very excited about it. I mean, there is always hype about young players um, all the time from sets of fans. But I think on first loan, he hasn't he hasn't had a loan, which I think is a, is a flag. But then the stats and the hype and what he's done looks pretty good. Are we excited about that? Do we need a youngish midfielder on loan? James, what do you think? I think he's more of a winger and good. his stats in he he does seem he's a bit older than a lot of the other players that play in that Premier League 2 mm, Division 2 league. Yeah, he's 21 a lot of the other players that were in you know the scoring and assist stats were kind of like 18 19 that type of thing. Maybe even younger. Um but yeah, he's got 11 goals in 12 games or something like that and then he's top of the assist charts in the league. I think um West Ham fans seem to absolutely rave about him. He was on the bench for them tonight, which I think, Jack, you were saying that against Gillingham in the FA Cup, and that's probably why maybe there was a bit of delay to the deal, given that KR wanted to get it over the line before Hartlepool. But I think, you know, as wingers go, um, and for someone without an outpace and who can find the back of the net, I think he looks like a good shout. I think wingers are the lowest risk, like, loan you can kind of get. You know, if they're rapid and they're reasonably well-structured, you, you can't, there's not yeah. as much risk to it, really. So no, I think I think we'd all take him. Liam Kelly, I think, is well, definitely got more of a reputation 
He's former Reading, now at Feyenoord on a three-year deal. Described as a pint-sized midfielder with a good vision, range of passing. <laughs> so I think I think I've already know got in my head already. Really, um, rumours he was at the ground at the game yesterday. Connor, was that some uh, elusive gossip you'd heard that he might be? Have you got a picture you can uh, we can prove this on, or is this just scandalous? <sighs> it was. There is no picture, unfortunately. Um, but I did hear it through a friend of mine who is good friends of Rob Dickey. And basically the story is that Liam is good mates with uh, with Rob Dickey because they came through at Reading together. Um, yeah, got it, yeah. So, you know, if if he was there, then then great. Um, I've, I've said it to you guys the other night that I think I, I imagine it would be a low move given his contract... Uh, with Feyenoord because he signed a three-year deal with them uh, last year. So I can't imagine it would be anything on a permanent. Um, but he seemed to do quite well at Reading. He seems to be quite a good player for them. So, yeah, it's kind um, of 80-odd yeah, games, sort of nine goals. Move. Seems to be quite creative. I, I probably couldn't straight away tell you where he yeah, fits into the into the team, given he'd want to come and play. But, but no, then this is, where, this is where we but start fits, to get scared yeah. about things like Brannigan, Brannigan <laughs> and Baptiste yeah. because he's exactly yeah, that kind yeah. of player. He's, but well, you can't. What can you do? Yeah, I mean, he fits He fits the player profile, doesn't he, that uh, sort of the Oxford would go after. You know, he's young. He's, you know, he's 24. He's, he's still not, you know, I suppose made it at any particular point in his career. You know, he's had a, he's had a good... A good um, Spall at Reading and obviously got the nice move to the final order, but clearly since being there hasn't done anything or hasn't been given any opportunities. So I think it would probably be a good move in in you know in his regard if he comes to us, uh, especially uh, you know close your ears for this bit. If we do lose Brannigan, then perhaps he could be someone who would come in and replace yeah, and, him and more um, experience until the end of the season as, anyway. As we know, but time will tell. We'll yeah, but those two happens. seem to be like they're a matter of time or, or things that need to be worked through. Stephen O'Donnell is the other one, right back, 27, Scottish international, um, Kilmarnock. He's a, he was mentioned in, I think, the same Daily Record article we talked about earlier as being out of contract in the summer and attracting a lot of interest from Middlesbrough, but we would want to take him now as part of our promotion push. KR said he's someone he knows years ago. He's spoken to him before when he was a free agent, but he's on the list. I think that one's probably a bit of a one of our classic player gets interest gets leaked from Scotland that I think Jack you you mentioned. <laughs> um, so see where that one goes on that. I'd I'd seen um I've just realised I've seen something about Marcus Brown. Was that was that one yeah. that was linked? Has anyone seen that? There was an article. Jack, yeah. you saw that as well, didn't you? Yeah, I think um, Charlton are in for him, and then one of their kind of blog type local news. Uh, outlets did a Charlton are in a competition with Oxford United to sign Marcus Brown. Um, someone tweeted, which is probably correct, that why would Middlesbrough let them let him go to a relegation rival? So in that sense, do we trump them? Um, I'm not sure I'd have him back in this side. Uh, I think he's a bit uh, thinks he's God, and I don't think that would fit in with the current squad. No, I'd, I'd agree. Quick whip round, we all bit. Nonplussed on Marcus Brown. I'd I'd take him back. I would. I'd take Nathan Holland over him in a heartbeat. 
Yeah, I agree with that. If I had to choose one. If we had nothing, if nothing else was emerging, so to speak, then I think you would get him in and he might have matured a bit beyond that. But yeah, we all knew, saw what he liked and he was good, bad and indifferent, wasn't he? Um, but that's another interesting one. Yeah. Um, and then finally, well, there's probably others I've forgotten about, but the biggest rumour was definitely the return of uh, Ricardinho, which by some weird, bizarre miracle during a late night, our late night transfer chat, well, we've made some serious suggestions, hadn't we, about various players. Jack, you named some right back that sounded like you know hot prospect type. I said Gareth McCleary. There were various other suggestions. And then I, for some reason, decided to go, let's just make up ridiculous stuff and put Ricardinho out. And it's all documented. It's all on Twitter. And then, lo and behold, it emerged that um, his agent's been in touch with KR and said um, he's available. And KR said, well, he'd certainly suit the way we play. Um, we obviously knows him. Um I'd rather have someone who's younger, but he's a free agent. Um, I don't know. I wondered whether KR was just having a bit of fun with that. But would people take him back if he was an option, not countering what else might be going on? But is he viable? No. No. I I must be in the minority then. I'd have him back as a second choice, but I don't think he's going to push Ruffles to get that. Start I'd, I'd have him back. I mean, he's got great touch, great passing. I've no idea what he's done since he left us. I've no idea whether he's in shape. Whether he's in shape. Yeah, this yeah. is the thing. So he he went he went to FC Twenty, played a few games, got released by them in the summer, and has been in Brazil yeah. since so May. Take, take... So eight months down the line, be a bit uh, of a difficult. Yeah. So you think he's one, of, he's one of those. Go on, yeah, go on. No, no, no I say, yeah. What well, things we don't know, you couldn't make a strong call on it. But and the pure like, was he the best fullback? Well, not the best fullback. Was he a fullback who never seemed to hoof it up the line? Was I always found amazing about him. But yeah, sorry, go on, Andy. No, I was going to say, uh, even though he might, yeah, he might have probably been in Brazil hoovering up coke for the last eight months. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's one of those players that's naturally fit. So uh, I think. Even though he's 35, when it, whenever he did come on, I think he had a few cameo sort of appearances before he, he left. He still looked quick and he still looked fit. He never looked sort of what like one of those players that, although he's he's probably at the latter stages of his his career, he still looks sort of sharp, if you like. But yeah, I think it's unlikely he'll come back unless there's something in it for both parties. Really, I, d- I did have a debate with someone on Twitter about the left back cover and whether it should be cover or should be someone that offers something a little bit different to Josh. And I know Ruffles has done a good job at adapting his game a bit to get forward more often than not. But with Cadden on the other side, I always felt that our team was had a little bit of an imbalance to it. And a lot of our attacking play would go down the right hand side. And I just think that Marvin Johnson-esque left back, if they exist in cover form, would be something that would be really good to get in um, this window. So you could bring someone on that really is dynamic. Like, Ricardinho could come back, be like 21 stone, and just take three months to get... You know, it might be until April until he's actually match fit. And, you know, if Ruffles gets injured, that's not something we want to fall back on. So I think if there's, vi- if there's viable other options, which there must be, there's loads of lone players, young players, then I think you've got to balance up. I just thought it was... Um... Just made me smile because yeah. of he made me smile. <laughs> but anyway, I think we need to tune out of 
team just, the transfer centre. Go on, Andy. Last just one. before we move, yeah, just before we move on from Ricardino, I'd like to say, Ricky, if you are listening, that, that's not what I think you've been doing for the last eight <laughs> months. But it's, it's just an it's just an association you make with uh, South American countries, and uh, I'm sure you've been staying fit. And uh, from a podcast point of view, I'd like to say we here at Tuckmanner Podcast do not condone the use of uh, Class A drugs in any way, shape, or form. Sorry. And also, we here at the Tamana podcast don't assume that all South Americans do cocaine. <laughs> yeah, and, and we also, just to you know, backtrack on Andy, we don't believe in putting bags on children's heads either. <laughs> unless um, it gets you into a pub. Move on, move on, move <laughs> on. Yeah, unless that's the case. Move on, uh, move on. <laughs> right, just a um, final thing. Thanks for that, John. On uh, John Shuker again, just going back to that. Um, it's his funeral. I think they announced the details of his funeral and I've misplaced them. Sorry, here it is. The service will be held at St. Mary's Church in Bampton on Thursday, January 23rd from 1pm. And those attending are encouraged to wear yellow and blue in tribute to the 77-year-old who spent 17 years at OUFC. So there we go. Right, on to football. <laughs> Right, Donny. It already feels whenever we have two games, it feels like a, a long time ago, doesn't it? But anyway, um, mini preview. Even though we did a preview last week, so they they had a good start to the season, not losing until their seventh game, um, which ended up being a one nil loss at home to Blackpool. They came into the game in sixteenth place, um, but they still have up to three games in hand on some teams above them, meaning that their position may well be kind of not truly representative of their ability or quality. Um, but having said that, their form in recent weeks hasn't actually been great. And before playing us, they'd won only five out of their 12 home games, but hadn't won at home since a 2-0 win against Bristol Rovers on October the 19th. So they've drawn three and lost um, the other game more recently. I think it was 2-1 at home to Sunderland. So um, on the other side of that, as we previewed last week, it's worth noting they'd picked up an impressive 3-0 away win at Peterborough the other week, which meant they'd already done the double over them. I know we've beaten Peterborough twice already this season, but now so have Donny and both times in the league in their case. Um, so they're no mugs. And they also beat Southend 7-1, which was quite funny. So I thought I'd get that in as we like a bit of a dig at Southend. Um, yeah, so we've, we'd only lost one of once in our last eight away games and many of us were at it. It was the MK game. Um, and then John, we were at the Fleetwood one before that. I think we're a curse and we need to just stay stay the feck away. Um, we had uh, 759 fans make the trip. In terms of the lineup, we made five changes yet again. So similar to the Wimbledon game in that sense. Uh, most are based on reversing the changes that we had from Boxing Day. So Cadden, Moose, Fosu and Taylor came in for Longmore, Hall and Mackey. Henry also came in, but it's it was to replace Brannigan. And then all of our hearts started racing at that moment in time. Um, but I think it was put it was put to bed pretty early on, um, at least by the Oxford Mail saying, you know, he actually does have a knee problem. Um, Brannigan was kind of laughing about it afterwards as well, saying that he was at home drinking tea, watching Twitter explode with rumours and that type of thing. Um, what do we think about Henry sitting deeper, Andy? So it's easy with hindsight to kind of challenge and you can kind of start talking in into the game but do we kind of miss something with James Henry sitting a bit deeper yeah I think we like the goal threat he's obviously um, he's one of our top scorers this season um, 
and I think he's suited to probably that number ten or even the wing wing role. Um, I think Goran and, and Brannigan have built up a good partnership this season, so I think I wouldn't yeah. say he's wasted, but I think I mentioned to Connor, there's the likes of Dan Adji that maybe maybe he's not a striker, maybe he's a winger. He's just been obviously pigeonholed into that position over the years. So um, yeah, I think. It, you would you need to play players where they're best suited. Um, yeah, I think it's probably probably a case of having to to play him there rather than wanting to really. So Sykes got the start right wing. Connor, have you got Sykes on the back of one of your shirts yet? Not yet. If you would have scored against Hartlepool, would you have done it? Which I'll probably slate him for later on. I would have done it. Yeah, you can get his name on the so, back of something uh, else. Just come on, doesn't Mark. have to be a shirt, I guess. An apron. To be fair, I might, I might, I might just buy a Northern Ireland shirt and just get him on the back of that instead. That's a good idea. I like that. Yeah, I think I might do that actually. Anyway, uh, <laughs> first half kicks off. Baptiste um, almost repeated his goal against West Ham, and uh, you know, since obviously, you don't want to go too far on Tartlepool, so I won't. Um, but Baptiste is just showing that he's got that ability to just pick up the ball, keep the ball close to his feet and just glide past players, cutting from the right and then really similar to West Ham, but this time it kind of trickled a few inches wide at the post. Um, really well worked free kick at one point with Fosu and Baptiste, curling it in for Matty Taylor to get his head on it, but he headed it down into the ground and wide. Um, Moose, I thought, and Jack, I don't know what you think, but he had a really, really good game, Moose. I know we conceded, but that was nothing to do with him and he was he was there. He made two or three critical interceptions. It's mad, actually, because if he was five, six years younger, we'd all be worried that someone from the league above would sign him um, based on his form yeah. this season because I don't know who's bringing who out of their shell. Like, Moose and Dickie as a partnership and as an improvement in the last, well, all this season, the back in the last season, it's just a completely different partnership. So, yeah, ha- yeah. hats off to Moose because he was kind of thrown to the sidelines by KR in the summer, but he's come out fighting. Yeah, I think he was my man of the match after the Donny game. Um, but anyway, on 34 minutes, Rovers ended up getting forward and they kind of the ball found its way through to um, James Archer, who kind of drilled the ball first time with his left foot across Archer into the far post. Cadden, I thought Cadden was ball watching a bit, looking back at the highlights afterwards. I know we were all there, but it's difficult in the moment to see what's going on. But Jack, you were saying you thought it was a mixture of Sykes and Cadden, maybe. Yeah, I think on, culpable. on that, the um, highlight video, the, as it does the camera pans towards our goal, you see Sykes point out the spare man and neither of them ever get close enough throughout the whole move. So yeah, it, it was it was poor. But actually, I think the ball through to the full back who eventually scored was a bit lucky, but... Yeah, an annoying one to concede. Yeah. Um, Moose, again, had a key interception just before half-time where they were, Donny were countering us and they would have got clean through and he made another interception. So, yeah, again, Moose was tremendous. But, John, do you think it's fair to say that, summarising the first half, we didn't create an awful lot and whilst we had a few corners, moved the ball well, Baptiste was gliding around at times. We, we didn't really work their keeper at all, did we? No, not not really. Um, we were sort of, we were playing well, and I think that was the contrast which you mentioned after the game as well about with MK. We 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 did have a plan, and we were just kind of not quite making it making it click. And I wondered whether Archer should have maybe in another perhaps in a wonder save got a hand on that and maybe flicked it slightly. But in some ways, that was his last game that we we found out this week as or potentially one of his 
latter um, last game. So I don't know. Yeah. It was a bit of um, it was a bit of a flat half. But I always felt that if we got one, they wouldn't have known what to do, and we would have probably gone on. But well, <laughs> spoiling the story. Yeah. Um, second half kicked off. Baptiste did yet another marauding kind of run. This time he picked the ball up. And I remember this at the time, actually, where he picked it up from deep, kind of looked like he was stumbling and falling over, then just carried on going, went past another couple of men and then played a great ball through to Fossu. Um, Baptiste, Andy, has looked absolutely superb over the last like three or four games, hasn't he? And he, he's, he's just rocking up on Twitter. Everyone's kind of grabbing mini videos of his ability, basically. And it, I'm getting more nervous that there's going to be more and more teams coming in for him. Yeah, he's uh, he's definitely a, a bright prospect, and he is getting better with uh, every sort of minute he plays. I think um, he just he's, he needs to continue developing as a player with us. Um, and we all know these days a lot of footballers are influenced by their agents and money. Um, but I think he's quite a grounded guy. Um, hopefully, he can see the um, the chance he's got with the Oxford and the. And the yeah way we're moving forward so well, I think KR said oh the fact I think I heard it before the Hartlepool game there's been no bids for Baptiste there's been obviously money spoken about between chairman and managers but I don't think any of the sort of figures that have been talked about are anywhere near where we're valuing him so yeah that's it it was alarming that Jerome said that um on the commentary for the Hartlepool game, he did say teams had been in touch about Baptiste. But again, yeah, as you say, Andy, the money that was thrown around was just nowhere near. And we've got him on what? Like a, wasn't it a five-year contract a year ago or something like that? Yeah, it's four Am or I five. making that up? Yeah, no, it's four or five or something like that. Yeah. Um, his ability to turn and roll players and have the confidence to do so is something you don't find in many players at this level. So I know he's going to lose the ball every now and then, but when it when it does come off, it, it's just amazing to watch. Um, there was a similar run from James Henry, who largely was, and you kind of set it up when we're talking about the lineup, who was largely kind of ineffectual and anonymous um, for most of the first half. Again, because he was sat so deep, but he won the ball deep um, in his in our half, um, ran thirty odd yards, sprayed a great pass to Taylor whose touch was immense, kind of set it back to Baptiste. And it's one of them. So there was one of these at MK after Baptiste came on where the ball was rolled back to Baptiste, took a touch, then struck. And exactly the same as MK, it was blocked. We all shouted for handball, even though it blatantly wasn't. Um, yeah, we had loads of free kicks in and around the Donny area, but we, Connor, we, we're not that clinical from set pieces or corners, are we? It's, it's going back to, I don't know if I need to get my little counter out and start counting them. I think you should, mate. Um, I was only saying this to my dad at the Hartlepool game. Every time we get a corner now, I don't even get excited because the deliveries are woeful. We've had so many poor set, well, not just uh, corners, also um, free kicks as well, but the deliveries are, are terrible. Like They're this weird, like, driven, floated thing Floaty to the back thing, stick. Yeah. Yeah, to the back stick where Dickie or Moore or Massinho tries to get on the end of it and knock it back across. And it doesn't seem to work. It doesn't seem like we have either like any sort of routines going on. Like, you know, if that's not gonna work, then when's the next routine? You see clubs when they do the little, you know, they pick the ball up, for example, the corner taker picks it up above his head and puts it down, and that's a sign for a certain set of play routine. It seems to me as though we don't have like a plan B at all from set plays. And it does get quite frustrating because Set players are normally 
you know, a chance to put a ball into a dangerous area and uh, create a goal-scoring opportunity, especially when we've got some big players in our team. Um, yeah. You know, we're not a small side. Um, yeah, I find it really frustrating with the set, the whole set play thing. So I, I do I think, think you should get your notebook out again. <laughs> I think, Jack, you were saying that it's largely, and it has worked, it's hit the back post, um, have someone head it back in the area, then hope. Yeah, yeah, and we we never seem to win the second ball. I don't, I don't like Connor was just saying. We have got players with height now. I'd have understood it a few seasons back when we had Wright and Mullins, who were just six foot, but not giants. But we, you would think that Dickey running at speed onto a ball to win it first time to get header on goal would be a a plan B. But we we just don't want to play, um, kind of to win the first ball for whatever reason that is. Yeah. Connor, I'm looking forward to going to a game with you when we're 1-0 down and we start winning quarters and seeing you sat there in silence. <laughs> Honestly. It's like, even, it's like a just... tribal thing though, isn't there? When you win a corner, yeah. it just the... you can't help it. You've got to go, it's come on you yellows. It's all of that. Exactly. Just go but, mental for no reason. Yeah, it is. But just recently, it's just been so poor. But I know it's not even been recently. We've never been good from set players, have we? Let's be honest. I think what no. we we do need a dedicated set play, like you know an actual specialist. That's something that perhaps you know with the with the transfer window that KR might even be looking into. You know because it seems to me as though all our set play takers aren't particularly good. Kelly does um, take a good he, corner. I was reading some stuff he, from he, Reading fans, and that that does seem to be a strength. So maybe oh, maybe he's going to be the the set play man. Mm, we need a cool. we need a Marcus Madison. That's what we need. And um, that's not going to happen. So I in know. the uh, I, wish it, I wish it would. I love that bloke. Sixty-first minute though, we came very, very close from a set piece. So Dick, <laughs> Dick Dickie's header um, from another yet another Baptiste free kick um, was kind of knocked on to Taylor, whose header um, hit the post, and it was cleared before Ruffles could kind of just launch himself at it for a tap in. I again at the time I was like all of us. I I, I turn around and celebrate. I was mid-celebration. I realised no one else was celebrating. And you can hear that on the footage back where it literally sounds like we scored. It wasn't like that. one of those, yeah, it was a sustained yeah. But um, John, were you celebrating when that well, didn't go in? Well, I had two hands on your shoulders. That's how advanced <laughs> my celebration was. I was, advanced. I was getting ready to pull you down to launch myself up. Um, yeah, James had ordered me as well. Well, so it was, it was, it was like a, a train. Was, yeah, yeah it, was, exactly. it, was, it was like a conga. If that had gone in, I think we would have won that game. It was it was yeah. a massive point. 60 minutes, we would have had 30 minutes to get another one. Yeah, it was really annoying. Um, Dickie ended up striding forward a few times and someone posted something in our WhatsApp, Yorkshire Yellows WhatsApp group about him ending up being our most likely player to score. Um, in that game I, I had no idea how that was worked out but I guess one thing it might suggest is that again we we said it it was summarized in the first half but we didn't create that many clear-cut chances and Taylor was kind of feeding off scraps and yes his movement's good but we were often cutting back Jack you maybe mentioned it the other day he's Fosu seems to be cutting back just a little bit too much and John you were saying he hasn't seen a byline sorry to <laughs> quote this off you yes, fine. <laughs> what did you say uh, something like he hasn't seen the byline in 10 years or something like that. Yeah. Quite but, that. But yeah, he always cuts... Well, I mean, he doesn't always, but he generally, yeah, cuts him right. He occasionally does hit one in on his left, but he doesn't... He's not that winger, as we've talked about before, who gets down and thinks byline first. 
He just um, the problem is if both him and Baptiste are doing the same thing, it just means you can defend in a certain way, knowing they're not going going that going out. Yeah, that's it. Um, double change. So Robbie Hall came on for Sykes. Mackie came on for Gorin. Mackie and Hall are they game changers, Andy? When we when we're chasing a game. Sorry, I'm setting you up to abuse here. <laughs> I was um, I was stood next to Mark Ansel, and we both said that we probably would have taken um, Sykes off and Taylor off, and obviously brought on Hall and um, Adji. I know he hasn't scored um, hatful, but in that situation, he need a bit of pace. Probably would have put Donny to the sword, or at least got a, a goal back. But uh, yeah, it, it was just. It just seemed like a bit of a, a team going through the motions. I think Taylor was didn't seem very interested. He, he sort of spent most of his time walking around, looking, waiting for the ball to come to him, um, rather than getting in a position where he could probably do something with it. So, I, if it was me and I was on the in the dugout, I probably wouldn't have made those the substitutions. But yeah. um, it, at the end of the day, it is what it is. So. And speaking of Taylor, he did have one effort. We obviously weren't extremely close. The keeper wasn't getting it. And Fosu's cross kind of came to Mackey. He laid it off to Taylor. Taylor kind of striked the ball from just inside the box and it was off the line by their defender, right? Um, that was mega frustrating. And it, after that moment, I think we all... That, there was still like 10, 15 minutes left at that point And you just kind of sensed it wasn't going to be our day. But we were still absolutely hounding them. And thinking back to the Doncaster performances, especially away where I think we won 1-0 and then drew 2-all in recent performances. Um, But we never battered them or dominated them like this. And this Doncaster side, again, with three games in hand, could be there or thereabouts um, if they turn over some positive results there. So, Jack, in summary for you... um, what did you take away from that, especially thinking about the second half and that kind of domination that we had? It was almost a defeat that was harder to take than the MK one, because at least at MK we were like, oh, we played crap, we deserve to lose. I always find games where you deserve at least a point, or in this case, deserve to win, uh, in my opinion, I think they're harder to take. So it was frustrating, and there's nothing worse than walking out of the ground amongst Doncaster fans and hearing them say, Oh, aren't Oxford a good side? Oh, they're going to be right up there. And you just think, <laughs> well, fuck off. <laughs> that was just our second defeat in 16 League One games. And we slipped two places down the league to fourth. Um, Fosu, again, hasn't been on it for a little while. We'll talk more about him in the Hartlepool game, I guess. Cadden actually probably had his worst performance, I felt, in an Oxford shirt. Or he was definitely up there. Maybe his mind wasn't quite on top of it. Um, but yeah, as we said, Henry may be a bit more ineffective than he, he is in a more advanced role. Baptiste still had a, a great game, I felt. Moose was fantastic. Dickie, generally solid as usual. But yeah, Don, Donny had a game plan, which um, Darren Moore talked about after the game and they stuck to it and it, it seemed to be effective. And after they got that goal, you know, there was only one thing they were going to do and it was try and contain that 1-0 lead. Um but as, as we said about domination, 67% possession, 22 shots to four on our side, um, eight corners to their four. You know, we, we absolutely smashed them. But we smashed them, but without actually creating that many clinical, um, sorry, clear-cut chances. Um, bit of reaction 
conscious of time we need to move on um kr obviously saying all the standard stuff about should have been could have been so different dominated the game more than when we beat them three nil at home that's football it's fine margins um he credited the opposition they won fair and square i did actually think on this um and john i don't know what you think but they didn't seem to take the piss like say mk did i know fucking we had trevor kettle um refing that game but it didn't feel like bad natured or they weren't really time wasting that badly. Like, I don't know. It it was kind of played in good spirits. Yeah. It's a really, yeah, it's a good point. They were, I mean, they absolutely had a plan. They just flooded the middle and tried to say, yeah, you can go wide and kept core. And I thought one of their center backs, Anderson was absolutely brilliant. Um, But you're right. There was no sort of time wasting or or rubbish. Um, But I think they knew that they probably not got away with it, but, that was their only plan and they didn't have a plan B and probably didn't, they didn't try and score after that. But again, they weren't being horrible. It was um, begrudgingly giving them some credit, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, KR with a bit of perspective said we'd take nine points from 12. And if you do that consistently, we'll get promoted. Moose did one of the other interviews, um, was saying that the whole outfield um, side have to take responsibility for kind of not finding the net and that falls on everyone's shoulders. Um, he said, there's a load of comments here, but he said, we controlled the game without creating a huge amount. And it's something we'll have to work on. Darren Moore then went on to kind of spaff all over us. In <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for that. So um, eloquently put. I know, but he said it's satisfying for us because we feel as a group that Oxford are, are an exceptional team. Um, he said we had less than 40, 48 hours to prepare for it. So a lot of the work was done in the classroom, which means they're just probably working on shape and looking at videos of us. But yeah, he thought they got the tactics spot on. I probably agree with that. Um, and he said that we are the best team that they've played and credit to them. So that was good. There was a one other bit of reaction before we move on, and it was from the uh, Tip Manor podcast group on Radio Oxford. Connor, I partic- listening back, I particularly enjoyed you saying, I'm not being funny, but... And then you just went on one of your rants. <laughs> I like that. Though. A bit of personality on live radio uh... is great. That's what it is, isn't it? It's what it's all about. I quite, I quite enjoyed the little t- manor takeover. Um, yeah, it was good. It was, uh, and, f- and fair play to Mark, obviously, to uh, get an hold of us, uh, yeah. having a word. It was really good, he, and obviously, needs- it, it went down well as well on on Twitter, by the sounds of it. So, thank you for the people who who, uh, you know, listened to us and and said, well done and whatever for our opinions that we gave. Obviously, pretty decent ones, lads. Yeah, Mark, if you're listening, next time give us a little shout out, even if it's like a subliminal message about the Tip Manor yeah. pod. Get Jerome listening. Anyway, right, that is the Donny game. On to the League One summary. Andrew. Hello. Hi. Hi. I'm not. Be- I'm not being funny, Andy. Goody. Can you bring? Can you? Can you hurry up? <laughs> Yeah, well, I was going to say, I'll try I'll try and keep this one as short and sweet as possible. Um, well, I'll start off with the top six, obviously, in League One. So, uh, before the game, obviously, Wickham in first, ourselves in second, uh, Rotherham in third, Ipswich fourth, Coventry fifth, and then Peterborough sixth. So, obviously, Wickham against Ipswich, that was a 1-1 draw. Wickham have failed to win in the last four games, um, and that, that's left only a three-point buffer for the top spot. So... There isn't much to say on that other than our Wickham's wheels falling off. Yes. I don't know. Yes, <laughs> yes possibly. Um, that bus has stopped. Obviously, 
we know the result against ours that saw us slip down to fourth. Obviously, Wickham stayed in first by the skin of the teeth. Rotherham um, against Blackpool. Um, Rotherham scored a late winner, courtesy of uh, Daniel Balassar. Is that how you say it? I don't know. Balassar. Anyway, <laughs> um, so they moved up. They moved up a place to second, um, and that's the third win on the bounce for them. Uh, Ipswich, obviously against Wickham. Um, they went ahead, actually, Ipswich. The tractor men went ahead only for Lickham. Uh, Lickham? <laughs> Lickham. Lickham. That, L- Lickham, yes. Yeah. So that's how we're... <laughs> Lickham. Yeah. Lickham. H- hi, Lickham. Um, yeah, they levelled 12 minutes later. Um, no movement from Ipswich. Um, in fact, did they go down? I think they went down a, a place to fifth. Um, Coventry against Tranmere. That was a 4-1 win for them. Uh, Godden struck a hat-trick for the second time on... In successful games, uh, that's all them rise up to third. So that's that's probably the biggest movement in the top sixth. Um, uh, that plunged Tranmere into the actual relegation zone, though. Peterborough started in sixth. Um, they lost two one to Lincoln. Um, a red card in the seventy fifth minute for uh, Dembali, um, and then late Willer from George Grant saw Peterborough rough uh, spot continue. They won in four games, um, so that. Obviously, leaves them in the playoff places, but the last playoff place. So, um, and that's only on goal difference. Um, Fleetwood and Bristol level on points with them. I'm really surprised they um, lost three games in a row. I didn't see that. I don't think any of us saw that coming. No, well, we all go through those spells, don't we? I think. Um, yeah. Well, I'd be I'd be surprised. I mean, they're a fairly big team for the league, uh, but if that carries on, they won't be staying in the, the playoffs for much longer. I don't think. Um, bottom three, obviously M- MK Don started in 21st. They had a comfortable three win over um, promotion chasing Bristol, actually, which saw KR's old team climb to 20th, um, just outside the relegation zone, three points clear. And I think that that for them, that could be a catalyst to obviously kick on for the rest of the season. I think we know from obviously previous seasons, getting out of that relegation zone is just a massive mental relief. And hopefully it'll, that, that'll give them a little bit of... Uh, reduced pressure to, to kick on. I think maybe. It, it makes um, our result there look a bit better because they've had a few decent home results now um, since they beat us. Yeah. And so, you know, again, they, they picked up form at a decent time. Yeah, definitely. South End started in 22nd there. Their terrible season under Sol Campbell. Um, it is Sol Campbell now, isn't it? Still. Somehow. Still. It is still Sol Campbell. The, the greatest mind in football. Um they had a draw against Wimbledon, actually. The, the Wombles and Wimbledon, common. <laughs> um, but that that leaves them obviously still in the drop zone um, with only eight points. I'd be I'd be massively surprised if they stay up. They're still the thirteen points adrift to safety, and I don't think even the greatest mind in football <laughs> can, can get them out of that, that that sticky situation. So, Sol, if you're listening, mate, yeah, fair play to you, but. <sighs> I don't think I can't believe pull this I can't believe they're not in double figures after 24 games in terms yeah. of points. That's incredible. <laughs> um, and then Bolton rock bottom still on. Uh, they're 23rd. They um, they scored. They had a. It was that was a good game actually though. To be honest, um, they scored two in 10 minutes to get a sort of a two goal cushion, but then they lost a man after the restart, uh, losing four three. Um, they're 14 points off safety, but. They've come a massive way since I think their their sort of turnaround started at, when we played them at their place. I mean they've not set the league on fire, but I think it's 
they've, they've had some good results. They've been unlucky. Um, I don't think they're going to get out. They're going to stay in the league, but I think next season they'll they'll get a good chance to regroup. Keith Hills is a decent manager, yeah. um, and as as much as we'd like to probably see them do the great escape, I can't see it happening this season. Um, other notable games: um, eight nine, eight six minute penalty from Chris Maguire ex Oxford um, for Sunderland and a one war one one draw at Fleetwood. I think even that, even though it was a late equalising it probably felt like a, a win the, the Sunderland fans won't be happy with that um, they've won Jack you were saying did they play a league game yesterday as well? yeah they beat Lincoln 3-1 yesterday so they're up to a point off the playoffs now with a game in hand so it's, it's quite strange how things can turn quite quickly based on numbers and stats because obviously they've been woeful and Parkinson's been getting a bit of jip but all in all, they're not in a bad position if they strengthen in January as well. Yeah, and that means they're unbeaten in five, be it three of them are draws. So, they're, yeah, hopefully they're not rising too quickly. Uh, yeah, so I think it's just the, the league, probably from mid-table up to sort of the playoffs and the autos is still really quite tight. And a, a, a run of a few games could see somebody go from mid-table to playoffs. Yeah. So um, I think it's unusual this, this side of... Christmas to be in that position, but that's where we are. So. Right. A clusterfuck, you might say. Let's move on. <laughs> Connor, do you want to do the little intro bit? Should I do um, it? No, no, you do it. Go on. You've got a better voice than I'll me. I'll do it, okay. <clears throat> Hardly Paul United came into the <laughs> FA Cup game against us. They were 16th in the conference coming into the game. Uh, two wins in their last 10 National League games. Um, but they did knock out Exeter City after a, a sterling comeback in the last round. It was a very really? late, late comeback. Do you like that? Sterling yeah. come Oh, yeah. my God. Thanks. <laughs> um, that's, that's, a, that's a dad joke, but fair play. Should Oxford progress? They, KR was obviously talking a lot about the money we make from FA Cup games, and it's a hundred, just under 150 grand, 135 grand in prize money. Um, and as he meant, made sure to reference it after the game that it needs to be used for players as well. Um, but he, they said that we've made 300 grand thus far in the competition because we had the who do we play Hazen Yedding on the telly on because um, yeah. that was televised, made a bit of money, yeah. Um, and then he said, KR was saying it's the equivalent of a very expensive loan player. Hartlepool brought um, circa 750 fans. They they sounded great on the um, on the radio, Connor. I'm guessing they were yeah. crack. They were, they were very good. Um, yeah, they were loud. I went out last night in town and bumped into a few Hartlepool fans and uh, had a word with them and said, oh, you know, like, fair play to you lot. You didn't stop singing the whole game and... They uh they enjoyed their day out even though they got smashed in the end but um it was it was good they they were good they were a good crack fair play to them nice um they set up in a five three two so you could kind of work out how they maybe were thinking about lining up but we'll talk about actually how the first half went in a second so maybe it didn't quite play out like that um we had four changes from the team from Donny on Wednesday so James Henry um who did his fire again um, wasn't available. Um, but he's meant to be back next week along with Brannigan and Eastwood fingers crossed um, I guess Aji what were people's thoughts John did you think Aji might get get a run out in this 
You'd think it was one of those where if he's not, to use a cliche, banging on the manager's door to say, why aren't I starting and not getting a good reason, then he should be in one of these games. Um, so, yeah, no, I'd like to see him in. It's good. I don't mind Hall being in. Um, not trying to, not moving, jumping forward. But, yeah, I would have, I think he's got to play in these sorts of games. Otherwise, it is getting, he yeah. must be going out on loan otherwise. Cool. So, Connor, take us through, takes through the game. Yeah, so there wasn't really much to note in the first sort of uh, opening five minutes or so. We, you know, we we kind of settled into our rhythm or tried to at least, to, and you know, came to some very little effect really in in the final third. Now, obviously, Hartlepool, spoiler alert, they scored early on, um, and I've kind of been thinking this uh, throughout the season. And obviously the the events that actually led to the Hartlepool goal that, that they were bound to happen at some point during our season. And obviously I'm a I'm a real big advocate of the uh, possession based football. Uh, and obviously where our two centre halves are, are both ball playing defenders who can pass the ball. But as Rob Dickey rather lethargically attempted to play the ball back to Archer on the ninth minute, my fears were uh, were realised as uh, Mark Kitchen latched onto the ball and and stroked the ball past Archer on the ninth minute to, to see Hartlepool go one nil up. And I kind of wanted to ask, uh, well, I'll go with you, John. Um, what did, what do you think this sort of mistake was, has been coming with the way that we play obviously out from the back and how we do have two very comfortable, uh, set the backs who can play football. Um, actually we have three to be fair. Um, but do you think there's been a mistake coming? No, I just think it was just a, just a cock up, just a, a one of those things that, does happen however you play football yeah um i just saw it and thought yeah exactly that i i I don't i know what you're saying but i don't think there's anything more than that yeah that's fair enough yeah i mean i was just slightly disappointed that that was the way we conceded it was just a lack of concentration really especially so early on um but to be fair, the first half was was uh, was limited in, in terms of the chances that we had. I mean, the only one I can really um, sort of put down as noteworthy was Rob Hall's left-footed drive from about 20, 25 yards out that whistled past the post um, around the half-hour mark. And that was a nice bit of possession play that led to that strike. Um, I would be lying to you if I said I wasn't halfway off my seat because I thought that that gone in as well, um, yeah. just like I was... Um, the other week against um, uh, Lincoln. But we, we looked very comfortable in possession and uh, it was just one of those, it just seemed to me as though there wasn't much uh, in the way of, you know, us really threatening them in any way. Um, it didn't, this possession didn't really translate into any real goal scoring opportunities. And, and the first half was, like I say, it's quite a lackluster performance, I think. Um, and, yeah. was, you know, was anyone else worried? Was anyone else worried that Fosu... I know it was good to give Fosu the captaincy to give him a bit of a, a G up after maybe, you know, his performances haven't been quite up there. But did anyone else think it was a... When we went 1-0 down into halftime, I was like, he's not the one to be the captain or am I putting too much emphasis on what captains, the role captains play? Um, I think with the experience in the side, obviously had Mackie starting, I imagine he's the one who... Or automatically goes into G and up mode, regardless of whether he's captain or not. But yeah, on paper, you wouldn't say, oh yeah, Fozu's going to go and have a go at them all in the changing room. Um, but I think Rosie suggest that, suggested that KR had a go at them anyway. So 
something definitely happened because they came out much better in the second half. Yeah, I put that down on the notes um, here. That I thought that at half time that KR was going to go in and, and give them a bit of a kick up the backside. Um, and we certainly saw a, a different second half performance. Sorry, Andy, for cutting you off. No, no, that's fine. I was just because I'm not necessarily a fan of this rotating the, the captaincy and the armband thing. I think you need a leader of men on the pitch to, to obviously set the example, fight the fights for whoever needs them fighting, not physically, but obviously just to have the say of the team uh, with the, the officials. And I, I understand why Carl Robinson is doing what he's doing with it, but I think for the, the stability and the, and the respect and it's generally a senior player. I think it should be given to one player for the season and, and let them deal with it. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with Andy. To be honest, I'm I'm more in in that camp. <clears throat> but onto the second half, um, and an early goal was really what the second half needed. And I said that at half time, and thankfully that uh, popped up on the fifty uh, second minute. It was a nice bit of possession play on the right hand side with uh, Long and Sykes. Um, played Sykes then played the ball into Rob Hall uh, just inside uh, Hall drifted past one defender with a nice little body feint before he uh, unleashed a really nice curling effort from about 20 yards that caught the goalkeeper missighted um, I thought and found its way into the bottom right hand corner so that was uh, obviously for 1-1 which was a really good strike from Rob Hall I was glad to see him on the score sheet again I don't think he had the best of games but it was a good goal um, and it was one, it was one of those Rob Hall S goals that you'd expect him it's the type of goal that you would associate him with um, James what did you think of that strike yeah I was really impressed with his quick feet to create the space to get the shot off actually I watched it a couple of times but yeah it's a, it's a really decent strike it's a placed effort like you said it, the keeper's kind of unsighted I think um, but it's a, it's a clever goal and it was probably the most important goal of the lot you'd say because um, if, if, if time had gone on we started getting into yeah. 70 80 odd minutes then we were you know we might have been struggling so it came at a really opportune time yeah definitely so after equalizing uh, we continued to to ramp up the pressure and Sykes came close with a, a really close ranged um side footed effort that didn't really test uh Beanie in the Hartlepool goal and like I said earlier I think he should have done better to be honest with you it was a nice bit of play to to get finding the little space just inside yeah. inside the box and it was a quite a poor strike in my eyes I think it could have could have easily stuck it in the far corner I was slightly disappointed at that although um, having said that the pressure obviously did pay off on, on the 62nd minute sorry 66th minute when we went 2-1 ahead after a uh, fantastic individual goal from from our star boy Shandon Baptiste I think everyone must have been seeing or must have seen this goal as it was uh, all over social media so obviously in a, in a similar fashion to the goal against West Ham, uh, Baptiste, he dri- drifted past the first defender with a really, really good first touch. Um, and then he performed an absolute beautiful double ball roll to evade two challenges from uh, on Russian defenders. He then paused, which sat Michael Reigns on his ass, which I thought was hilarious, um, <laughs> before striking the ball... Yeah, before striking the ball low past Beanie. And uh, watching it live, it was almost like slow motion, the way he just sort of marauded around the uh, the defenders. And it was an absolutely fantastic individual effort, uh, effort from him. And obviously, like I said, it was a, it was a key highlight on Match of the Day, um, which it drew quite a lot of uh, praise from Jermaine Genus. 
Um, what are your thoughts on that one, Jack? Brilliant, wasn't it? Absolutely brilliant. And it's quite weird because he almost did it against Doncaster. He seems to have this habit of almost gluing the ball to his foot and, as you say, rolling is exactly what he does to get past multiple challenges. Um, talking of social media stuff, I had a Colchester fan text me today saying, what about this guy, Baptiste, then? And I was kind of pleased that I had a random mate talking to me about Oxford players, but equally terrified that random people are starting to kind of notice him. Um, but at least yeah. it'll put some more uh, higher price tag on him. Yeah, definitely. It was a, it was a fantastic goal. And uh, another one to add to his to his collection of really good goals, actually. It seems like he doesn't score simple goals, um, which is quite interesting. Um, so, I say, the dominant second-half performance continued again, and, and KR decided to make a few uh, well-informed changes, in, in my eyes anyway, with Mackie coming off for Taylor on the uh, 66th minute. Um, uh, Dan Adji and uh, Fabio Lopez also joined the game on the, uh, the 80th and the 83rd minute, respectively, with... Uh, Hall and Baptiste making way for them. Uh, the two substitutes, um, Fabio Lopez and Matty Taylor, combined for the for the third goal. Uh, Dickie played a really great sort of splitting through ball between the two centre-halves to Taylor that he latched onto. Taylor backheeled the ball to Lopez just on the edge of the box. And Lopez definitely went to shoot here, but he scuffed his shot. But thankfully, this uh, <laughs> shot turned pass found its way to Fosu at the back post who, who taps it home to make it 3-1. Um, I was kind of gutted that um, <laughs> that Lopez didn't get a cleaner strike on it because I think he probably would have scored. Um, I'd like to see Lopez get on the score sheet. But Lopez played well when he came on and, and so did Dan Adji, as I'm going to touch upon in a moment. Um, so that was 3-1. Um, and only three minutes later, we, we sort of compelled some more misery on our visitors with the fourth uh, from the penalty spot. And it was a great pass from Dan Adji, uh, who found the Fosu in the box with a sort of splitting pass that cut through a few defenders just inside the box. Um, Fosu had a good first touch and then tried to backheel it onto the on-rushing Mark Sykes. Uh, and he was he was brought down by the Hartlepool defender in a, in a bit of a sort of tangle of legs in the box. It, it was definitely a penalty in my eyes. Um, and Taylor stepped up to, uh, to lash the penalty home for 4-1, which was his uh, 10th goal in all competitions for us. Uh, this season so it's good to see Taylor hit double figures um, overall then really I think it was a very improved second half performance and we certainly looked far more confident in, in possession of the ball and created some really uh, key openings and, and scored some good goals um, I do think the scoreline slightly flattered us though because I think Hartlepool weren't actually that bad so I think fair play to, to Hartlepool uh, with the fight they did put up but I'm very happy with the uh, with the turnaround and to be in in the in the bag, as it were, for the for the next round. So, uh, any any thoughts on the second half performance, Andy? Did you catch any of it? Uh, yeah, I was listening at the uh, on, in the car on the way back um, from where I was going. But um, yeah, I think obviously when they scored early on, I think people probably uh, started to get a bit twitchy. But I think we did what we needed to do. We stuck to our game plan. Um, and yeah, I don't think we needed to do any more than we did. Really, I think a team like Hartlepool and the position they're in, and no disrespect to them, they probably came out um, the blocks pretty quickly. So in that sort of game, you stick to your game plan, and, and I think it, yeah. it tends to come good with the, the better quality of players we've got. 
Yeah, I mean, we definitely stuck to the game plan for the second half and uh, it turned out to be a very professional performance, I think, in the end. Uh, and obviously, onto the bit of reaction, I think KR um, kind of echoed what I've just said there and he said that we were... He said they were very good in the first half. Um, I, I think that, yes, Oxford played well in the first half in terms of the way we uh, kept control of the game. I think we were... We didn't really hurt the opposition enough and, and KR echoed that. Um, and he said it was a ridiculous error from ourselves with the uh, obviously the Rob Dickey incident. Um, I thought what was interesting with KR is he said that we have an identity now. Um, and obviously he was talking about the style of play. And he says here that um, the style might be criticised by, su- by some, but we stuck to it. And that was the pleasing thing. Um, obviously referring to the way we played in the second half. Overall, the players were excellent. Um uh, and the way they conducted themselves over the course of the 90 minutes was impeccable. We stuck to our guns. So, obviously, Andy, what you're just saying there, KR agreed with you at the end. Um, obviously, this was Archer's last game as well. Um, and sounds like he's got a, a club lined up somewhere. Um, I know that um, the goalkeeping coach, Wayne Brown, was very... Uh, what was the word? Sorry. He was very... Uh, complimentary. Complimentary. That's the word, yeah. Complimentary of, of uh, the way Archer conducted himself uh, since, since being with us. Uh, so I wish Archer well going forward. I thought he was brilliant. Apparently he's going... He's done his job. He's going to be a number one at a championship team. I don't know who it is. KR knows mm. who it was, but he wouldn't divulge. Yeah, I think we'll find out soon enough, won't we? Um, but I think he's been... He's, he's certainly served his purpose since since being in the squad. Um, kept quite a few clean sheets. I know obviously it's not all down to him, but um, I think he deserves some credit. Um, so really then, chaps, as we've uh, made it into the next round, who are we after on Monday's draw? James, any thoughts? Spurs away, because I haven't been to their swanky new stadium. Hang on, they're still in the draw, aren't they? Yeah, they didn't beat Middlesbrough today, did they? But they're still in. No, they are still in at the moment. Yeah. Jack? Um, yes, but, well, a big big club away for a good day out. Or if we can't draw one of them, we want a winnable home game, which, to be honest, could be a big club the way we played against Man City. So yeah. I, I think we'll beat anyone. Bring yeah. them on. <laughs> yeah. Andy, any particular team? Yeah, I would like uh, Hull away. It's a right. fairly decent away trip for us and one of my uh, one of my good mates from uh, my army days is a whole supporter so yeah I'd like to go and do them over and, and get a get, result and get smashed up in the aquarium pre-match <laughs> yeah that's it <laughs> nice John shout out to shout out to the uh, aquarium uh, I, I quite fancy Sheffield United I think we could just have an incredible game of football which we might yeah, not probably true. win but it's obviously local to us a lot and I think it'd just be a quality game so I'd go with them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm hoping for Liverpool away. Um, I'm still I'm still gagging to to play Liverpool because, you know, being quoting best club in the world. Well, I think we'd uh, we'd give them a game. Um, but also the uh, the 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 weekend of the game. Um, I will be back in England for for that for that weekend. It's the uh, the fixture will be paid on the twenty fourth of of. Uh, sorry 25th rather of, of January so I'll be back in England and I'll be up north so I'm hoping that we do get an away tie up north so I'll be able to go to it so like I said hopefully Liverpool away would uh, would be good and that would save me swimming the uh, the Irish channel <laughs> nice um, but that's uh, that's the Hartlepool game awesome
Jack, you're doing this for us. Yeah, so Rotherham um, had a little dig about their history, which I didn't know. So they were founded in 1925. It's actually a merger between the two famous clubs of Rotherham Town and Rotherham County. Um, so there's a, there you go. There's a bit of a pointless stat for you. <laughs> um, they've been a bit of a yo-yo club the last few seasons, kind of between League One and the Championship. So they won at Wembley in the 17-18 season and then got relegated last season. Uh, four points in safety after a bit of a revival, uh, but not quite enough of a revival. Uh, today they lost in stoppage time to Hull in the FA Cup, but by all accounts, probably at least a replay. Uh, didn't really get the rub of the green. Uh, they had a, their full-back sent off in the first half, so they played a good 60 minutes with 10 men. Um, also, a potential rival for Shandon's goal of the round, uh, Isaac Vassell, um, with a yeah. fantastic strike. Um, he was actually the only change from their last league out, so they went pretty strong. Uh, in terms of league form, they've won three of well, their last three and drew the two prior to that. Um, their second uh, played a game more than us on 41 points and a plus 17 goal difference. Um, they're a bit of a funny side in that they beat Peterborough 4-0, beaten Blackpool quite comfortably at home, but then they only drew away at Southend. So clearly on that day, the greatest mind in football uh, outdid himself. Um, we beat them 2-1 in October. <laughs> I think quite a few of us went to that game. And again, we probably deserved it. Uh, Matty Taylor with the winner. Um, in terms of what to expect, they, they do have the ability to mix up their style. So they played a 4-3-3 against us in October, but recently have switched back to a standard 4-4-2. Uh, Dan Balaza, Balaza. Uh, can sit a bit deeper in a kind of Gorin role. I think he's quite a keeper for them. Uh, they they do play quite a lot on a counter attack. Uh, so they've scored forty two goals and conceded twenty five. And quite interestingly, fourteen of their games have had over two point five goals, which is the same as us. Um, so again, I'm setting this up for a nil nil. But um, generally, their games are quite entertaining. Uh, the other stat I found was that they've put the most crosses into the box in the league so far. So they've put 612 crosses in in their 23 games. Uh, in contrast, we've put 557 in in a game less. Um, they've also got the, the lead, the stats for the most penalties, both won and conceded. Um, so maybe a, a cheeky bet on a penalty uh, is a good option. Uh, players to watch. Um, you can't you can't really ignore a goal scorer. So they've got Freddie Ladapo. Um, who was at Plymouth last season and scored 18 goals, which encouraged Rotherham to spend a club record fee in the region of 500,000 on him. Uh, he's already got nine nine goals this season. Um, had a bit of a rest yesterday, um, so he'll be raring to go. Uh, they've got a lanky centre-back who actually scored against us at the New York Stadium. Um, Michael Iwikwi, uh, who's got a cracking full name of Michael Uzukwu Abasalom Jude Iwikwi. Um, there's only one of him. And then Matt Crooks, who uh, I've always liked as a player. He's scored seven goals from midfield this season, <laughs> although three three lots of braces within that. Uh, they signed him in Northampton in last January's window, uh, ex-Accrington and Rangers. Um, he does like a tackle. He's been booked. He's the most booked Rotherham player this season. So him against Gorin uh, could be an interesting little tussle. And they've got a couple of players in their side, current squad anyway, who've featured for us. Uh, Carlton Morris, who had a 10-game loan spell in Matt's first season, 
Uh, yeah, he scored once away at Bristol City in the Cup. Um, he's got three goals this year and it's actually his second spell at Rotherham. And then the man who scored the uh, fantastic goal yesterday, uh, Vassell, again, we had him on loan in that same 14-15 season. He did score a winner on his debut against Carlisle. Um, we let him go after the end of his his original month's loan. Um, Rotherham signed him two summers ago from Blackpool, uh, which had been his most prolific spell, was 22 goals in 56 games. Uh, he's only got the one league goal this year, um, but he's probably going to be full of confidence after yesterday. So, yeah, predictions. I think this will be a tight game, uh, decided by one goal. Probably quite feisty. Uh, there's a lot of um, kind of all guns plays in midfielders who'll do well not to pick up a book in. Uh, hopefully, we don't give any stupid free kicks away because with Ladapo, Richard Wood, Michael Smith, they've got some big, big boys to to counteract in the air. Uh, Andy, what are you thinking? Yeah, I think it'll be a tight game, to be fair. Um, I'm going to go with 2 1 to Oxford. Uh, Connor? I think it'll be a very, very tough game. And to be brutally honest, I'm on the side perhaps that we might lose. Um, I know it's not like me. Normally I'm quite positive, but I genuinely think this is going to be one of the hardest games of the season. Um, But just just for the sake of it, I'm going to say 1-1. Oh, so we're all being cagey, James? I think, like Andy, 2-1. Looking at that footy stats site, they've had six 2-1s already this season. So, 2-1 seems like a good shout. And John? Well, I was glad that Connor was going down the we're going to lose line because I was going to go, yeah, I probably think that as well. It's not all about Brannigan, but if Brannigan's playing, I'd be a lot more confident in this sort of in this kind of game. I think we might lose by by one. So yeah, I'll, I'll go two one. Lost the other way. So it's going to be a close one. Is a summary of that. Um, yeah, that's Rotherham United. Yeah. Okay. Right, where are we? Uh, on this day, Have we got an on this day, Andy. No, no, we definitely have gotten on this day. Um, <laughs> he's, leave me he's hanging. Just like to go get it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, we have definitely got one. It's uh, obviously the 5th of January. Um, this one comes from Saturday, the 5th of January, 1991. Um, oh, United. Sorry for that massive cough, by the way. Uh, you cut me out then. Sorry. I, I, I shall begin. Uh, United, 17th in the second division, uh, visited Stamford Bridge for a third round FA Cup tie against Chelsea, 8th in Division 1. Uh, a crowd of 14,586, including 1,500 used fans, saw Lee Nogan open the scoring for Oxford four minutes before half-time. Ten minutes after the break, John Dernan extended United's lead, but with a quarter of an hour remaining, uh, Kerry Dixon pulled the goal back for the hosts. Five minutes later, United made the game safe when Jim Magilton beat Dave Beeson to complete the 3-1 scoreline. In the fourth round, Oxford United lost 4-2 at Tottenham Hotspur with Paul Gascoigne scoring twice just to bring us crashing back down to earth. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there we Jim go. Jim Magilton beating Dave Besant. What, what it's great true. times. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> right, nice one. On to quiz time. Right, 
So, quiz. As it's January transfer silly season, I thought we'd do a bit of a January transfer Ooh. quiz. So it's 10 questions, shout your name if you know the answer about who we signed or who the player was that we signed in this particular period, all let go and yeah, give an answer and we'll just take it from there. So question one. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. There you go. There we go. Uh, yeah, right. Okay, question one. Which Bermudan striker did we sign from Lewis in Jack. January 20... Yeah, Jack? Jonty Smith. That's right, Jack. Uh. Question, question two. In January 2016, we signed two strikers from Rotherham. One was Jordan Bowery. Who was the other? What year was he, this, sorry? 2016. Uh, Connor. Don Connor. Oh, it's, no, it's wrong. George Waring is wrong. James, Steve McLean. Not your favourite player, Steve McLean. Um, he is Jack. Scottish, though. Go on, Jack. Is it Maguire? Did we make him permanent? Yeah. It is oh. Maguire, yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, he's not a striker. He is. Come on. All right. He's not a striker. He played out wide. Bloody well, it worked with the Jordan. But it worked with the Jordan Barry link. Leave fast. it. Leave yeah. it out. <laughs> All, right. All right. Question three. That same month in 2016, a midfielder departed to Bengaluru FC in India. Who was that? Jack. Go on, Jack. Michael Collins. Oh, he's just on fire. For God's sake. Uh, it's like I wrote this quiz for Jack to get a win. Um, <laughs> Just to keep you uh, honest. Um, question four. In January 20, 2018, we signed a highly promising young midfielder from Liverpool and released a less promising Spanish midfielder. Can you name them both? Andy. Go on, Andy. Ben Woodburn and Zemi. No. One right. Someone have a guess at that? We signed a... Sorry, where did he play? The Liverpool player? Centre, centre midfielder from Liverpool. But he's Mancunian. Oh, James. Oh, <laughs> I think I heard. I think I. Heard, I think of James. I think that was James. Brannigan. Yeah. And. Jenny. Sorry, yeah. Andy. There we go. <laughs> right. Maybe he's getting a bit, bit harder. Um, in January 2011, we made the big signing of Jumin Sangara. He was in the. He was a candidate for the last pick in the PE11. If people remember him. However, this isn't a question about him, so don't worry. That month, we saw two popular players depart who were in the 2010 York playoff final. One was a central midfielder to Crawley and the other was a centre-back to Wrexham. Can you name them both? James. Go on, James. Bullman and Crichton. Spot on. Uh, in question, question six, in January 2012, we signed Ollie Johnson and Mark Wilson. Some inspiring signings there. And we saw another two players from the 2010 playoff final depart. A midfielder to Hereford and a striker to Mansfield. Again, can you name them both? James. Jack. Uh, Simon Clist and Matt Green. Yeah. Very, very good. The hint was going to be about the uh, Christmas nativity and Simon uh, Clistmas. <laughs> um, <laughs> good old Clistmas. Question seven, and this is probably a hard one, but probably maybe not. Which former Republic of Ireland international striker? Former Republic of Ireland international striker did we sign from Portsmouth on loan in January 2014? 
give you a hint, he'd play in the Premiership for Wigan and Sunderland. Jack. Go on, Jack. David Conley. Oh, he's yeah. just unstoppable. Just un I mentioned just him the other day as well. It's annoying. Yeah. Uh, question eight. And let me finish this question before you, before you jump in, potentially. <laughs> in January 2015, a popular left-back was signed who you definitely wouldn't fuck with him. Andy. Just let me finish the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm hoping that one of the questions is about Bino, and I was just going to say Bino, but... Yeah, well, I'll, let, I'll finish, because you might just... not know the second part of this question. So, there's a popular left-back, who Andy clearly knows who it was, an outgo so we signed him and outgoing that month was one of if not the most the least popular left back we've had in recent times can you name them both for the for the point connor andy go on connor well it's joe scars and uh, tom dewey yes it was yeah he's on don't fuck with scars super <laughs> joe scars is your Sorry. famous uh, so yeah, um, and obviously the the bit you when you said that the most disliked well it was obviously Tom Dewey. Yeah, well it's not supposed to be that difficult. Um, final <laughs> final final question, which well we'll do it anyway. Um, <laughs> that same month, January 2015, we saw another of the 2010 starting lineup depart, going to AFC Wimbledon. Who was that player? James Andy Jack Midson. Andy Connor. Andy. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry, was it was uh, it Midson? Wasn't Midson? Uh, oh, I don't know. Who, Connor. Jack. I'll be Jack. Yeah, there we go. Oh. And that is uh, what's known as a comprehensive victory with six points for Jack. Well done, Jack. Well done, Jack. David Connolly. It's going to bug you, him? isn't it? Why did we talk about <laughs> him last week? I think I asked a stupid question on last week's quiz, which was like. Who of the last fifteen games of the twenty thirteen season who scored in a it was something ridiculous. Yeah, it might have been. Anyway. Right. Uh what we do in next pod, we'll obviously be reviewing the Rotherham game. Um we'll be previewing Ipswich, um, which will be, as we said, on Tuesday the fourteenth, and we'll be previewing the Gillingham away game, which is on Saturday the eighteenth as well. So it's nice, at least next week we've got a chance of having a shorter pod because there's not double games. So who knows? What was that? Was that Babe Station in the background? <laughs> that celebratory noise. I think I think it was actually my phone, and it was a it was a video about fishing on Facebook. Fishing, <laughs> fishing. <laughs> right, and on that note, uh, thanks yeah. for listening, <laughs> and we'll see you next week. <laughs>